Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, Dave was uh, making announcements. He talked about April 4th. That's what, Thursday morning, second day of the ladies' Bible study. Is that correct? But April 4th means something else to me. April the 4th, 1975, I received Jesus Christ as Savior. And, of course, it changed my, yeah, I applaud for the Lord on those things. Now, let me ask you, how many of you in here would say that you, you, you know you received Christ more than 40 years ago or longer? All right, that's a bunch of us. We've got to get some younger folks in this church, don't we? <laughs> How many of you say uh, someplace between 20 and 40 years you received Christ? Oh, that's a good bunch, too. All right, how many of you would say between 10 and 20 years? All right. How many of you would say less than 10 years? All right, a good bunch of you, a good bunch of you. How many of you would say in the last one to two years you've received Christ as Savior? Okay, yeah, there's a few hands there. All right, awesome. Well, Those of us who have known Christ for a long time, I don't know if you remember back when that happened or not, but my guess is that you do. Um, I mean, I remember when I came to Christ, and it just, like I said, changed so many things. First of all, it it, it changed my eternal destiny. I mean, I I was a sinner, okay? Uh, And if you're, so are you, okay? Let's get it out there. (laughs) So I was a sinner, I, I wasn't right with a holy God. I'd sinned against a holy God, and I had no way to fix it. No way to fix it. But God loved me so much that he had sent his only son into the world to be my Savior. And he died, you know, the Son of God became a man, lives this perfect and holy, sinless life. As he dies on the cross, willingly choosing to do so, God the Father took all of the penalty for my sins and put it on Jesus. All of penalty for your sins, for the sins of the whole world. Put it on Jesus. And he dies there paying that penalty. He, he, he's buried as we sing and rose from the dead, uh, showing that he was vic- indeed victorious over sin and death. And, and then, by God's grace, somebody explained all that to me. I was in a church where they, they taught me those things. They preached the Bible and said, here's what God says, and you can have a relationship with him. And April 4th, 1975, I opened up my heart to the Lord and said, okay, I, I, you know, I get, I've lost, all I can do is trust you. And I received Jesus as my Savior. And um, it just changed everything. Now, one of the things that changed was how I looked at life. Um, do you remember how you looked at life after you first became a Christian? Anybody besides me kind of felt like, okay, I became a Christian. All right, now, awesome. Life is going to be great. And it has been when you look at it properly. But it's more like life's going to be great. Everything is going to go right now. I won't have any problems. I mean, because God is on my side now. And was God on my side now? Absolutely. More importantly, I got on his and, um, but so you have this expectation of how things are going to go. It's all going to be good. Everything is going to happen the way that it ought to happen. 
Have you found out it doesn't quite work that way? It doesn't work that way. All of a sudden, something happens. Maybe something happened in your life that, wow, that's hard. That doesn't make sense. And you're thinking, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I'm, I have a relationship with God. I'm trying to live right. I'm living mostly right. <laughs> and all this. And why, why would God let this happen to me? And it isn't very long before you start looking around you and see that, well, it seems like that person over there who doesn't even care about God, is actually living contrary to what God says, and he's got it good. Hey, it's not adding up here in my mind as a young Christian. And it doesn't have to be just as young Christians, because I've known people who have known the Lord for many, many years, and all of a sudden something happens in their life and circumstances, and they're kind of like, why, why is God letting this happen to me? And not that person over there, you know, people like that, they deserve it, but me? Um, and so we, we come down to this sense that life seems unfair. And uh, there are people who will tell you, well, life is unfair, get over it, right? <laughs> But here's the deal. There is something deep down in our, our hearts, not just as Christians, but even as non-Christians. We have this sense that there ought to be justice, right? The good ought to be rewarded and the bad ought to be punished. We have that sense. Now, you'll run into people who tell you, oh, I don't believe there's such a thing as right and wrong. And that's true until somebody steals their iPhone. Yes. <laughs> right? You understand what I'm saying, right? Until, you know, they realize, wait a minute, that's not true, you know. So we have this innate sense of there ought to be a right and wrong, and we might disagree about what's right and wrong, and, but we have that sense. And so that's how we end up with this feeling that this doesn't seem right. This seems unfair. This doesn't seem like it's going the way that it ought to go. So do you think this only happens to people who live in the 20th and the 21st century? No, not at all. So, let's go into the book of Psalms today and see this issue is not a new issue. If you don't have a Bible with you today, that's fine. We'd really encourage you to pick up one of the Bibles that are under the chairs there. There should be a Bible someplace in front of you on one of, under one of those chairs and take it and follow along. We're going to be on pages 668 and 669 in that Bible. Psalm 73. And so it's just a natural expectation, I think, especially when we are new to our faith. But like I said, it, 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 it does endure. But sort of a natural expectation that things ought to go good for the good. Right? And things ought to go bad for the bad. And it doesn't always seem that way, does it? So today we want to consider when life seems unfair. So Psalm 73. Let's begin working our way through this. He starts off and says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. You know, right there we see um, the, the potential for a misunderstanding about how things are supposed to work. Uh, is God good to Israel? Let's, let's substitute in for Israel. Let's substitute for his people, okay? Because Israel, now, now we're the Christians. Um, is God good to his people? Yes, he is. 
And then we want to be specific. Is he good to those who are pure in heart? Yeah, but do you see what this already starts to sound like? God is good to his people, and especially those who are pure in heart. They're the ones that he's taking care of. Well, there's some truth to that, if we see it properly. Let's see what goes on from here. So God is good to his people, especially to those who are pure in heart. But, that's the next word, but. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He says, I, I, I just, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it. I just about threw in the towel on my faith. He said, I, I really did. I, you know, I almost stumbled. By stumbled, the idea of failing and falling and, and, and not following through with the Lord. Uh, so yes, God is good, but man, I almost concluded he wasn't. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? But let's stop just now for a moment. I really want you to be as honest with yourself before God as you can today, because when I think about this, I'm trying to think, have I ever thought that God wasn't good and I don't know if I've ever consciously embraced that thought. But I think it's gone back and forth in my head a few times. You know what I mean? Let's really be honest with ourselves today. All right, why was this? Why has I almost lost my faith? He says, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This word prosperity is the word, you know, the word it's shalom. Okay? And shalom, that means well, doing well, uh, well-being. It has to do with, uh, uh, sometimes with prosperity, sometimes with money. It, it has to do with health. It has to do with the, just things are good or, or there's peace, sense of peace. And all of those words, it's a big word, I mean a small word that means a lot of stuff. And so what he's saying is when I looked at the wicked, they were doing good. Better than I should, would have thought how this is supposed to work. So, I almost lost my faith when I saw how good the wicked were doing, how well the wicked were doing. And now he goes on and he describes what he was seeing. He says, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. And this idea of pangs, uh, we... Sometimes people die really harsh deaths, don't they? It's, you know, spread over a long time in, in pain and suffering and all that. And he says, I'm not seeing it among the wicked. It seems to me like they are strong and firm right up to the end. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. All the, all the problems that the rest of us have out here, they don't seem to have. You know, we're plagued by it. We get, do you have problems every day? Sometimes they're bigger than others, aren't they? Sometimes they're more than others, but probably every day you got something that you go, ah, about. Verse 6, Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. What's he talking about? The pridefulness, right? It's like an ornament they wear around themselves. They're proud. And, but I thought God does what to the proud? What's the Bible say? God resists the proud, and yet here they are, 
openly proud. It's like a, like a piece of jewelry that hates their bling. Their pride is their bling. Okay? Uh, and then he says, violence covers them like a garment. And the idea is, is that they, they take what they want. They get what they want, even if it's at the cost of somebody else's well-being. Now, as we continue reading, um, can you think of people like this? I mean, when, when you think in our country and, and, and you... Uh, I think we can see that, that, that the very rich, oftentimes we feel this way about, right? They have it good, don't they? they now, let's be real honest. Anybody in here would like to have more money than you now have? Okay, and the rest of you just haven't thought about it yet. We all would like to, right? But we see that, and we see people have the money, and they, they don't have these problems, and they get what they want. You know, they make it happen. Um, you know, very rich, that might be people who are in the entertainment industry, that could be uh, people who, whatever the business is, it's, it's, even in the politics and government, right? We see all these people who we don't see as good people, and we're going to see for them, they aren't good people, but we, we don't see them as good people, and yet life seems good for them. And it just doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem fair. So let's read on. Verse 7, he gets a little graphic in his, his explanation here. Their eyes bulge with abundance. <laughs> they got so much that's popping out. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. The idea again is that... Uh, their views and their practices and what they do may be oppressive to some people and, and take advantage of some people. And they're like, big deal. Doesn't matter. That's their problem. This is they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. That's a, just visualize that one literally. But the idea is when they speak what they, they talk against God, they talk against what's right, they, they have their own views and, and, and they're ready and willing to spout them, not just to God, but to you and me. And, and you hear about that. Have you ever watched anybody on television or it could be like something, but tell you that you're wrong and what you ought to think differently about? And, and well, who are you to tell me that? Well, they're, they're the the wicked who are doing well. So boom, they, they tell you about it. Verse 10. And he says, Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And that's a little bit of a challenging verse to figure out. But my sense from studying it and, and reading what other people said about it and is, is this. Therefore his people. He's talking about God's people. They return here. And where is here? Here is to this place that the psalmist is at. Here that, hey, this doesn't seem right. The wicked are doing well. And we aren't. They return here, and it says, and waters of a full cup are drained by the and they drink it in. They have bought into it. This following God thing isn't all it's cracked up to be. And they 
drink it in. That's a bad thing, isn't it? It's a really bad thing. When God's people aspire to be like the wicked in some way, that is never a good thing. As in, never. So this is bad. This is why he said, I almost lost my faith over this. And they say, these are God's people who are, you know, saying, I don't know if I buy this anymore. How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? You say God knows. How is that? How can you say God knows? How can you say he has knowledge of this? Because if I was God, I'd do something different. Right? And surely if there's a God and he has a power, he wouldn't let it be this way. It's not right. It's not fair. And so then he sums this up about these people. He says, behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Not only at ease, they get more and more and more. When, when we look at the world this way, it really puts us and a lot of people at risk. Now, it's a natural way. It's not a surprising way. We are human beings, right? We've all been twisted by sin, and we're trying to get untwisted. So it's not a surprise that we might think this way, but it is never, never a good thing for us, as we're going to see. And so this is a, a wrong response to life. See what's happening? Here's a situation. Here's what he's experiencing. Here's what he's seeing. And him and all these other people who now are, who are questioning and maybe buying into the lies. And, and uh, it's a wrong response to life. But here's what we need to understand. I'm putting my first person for me. First person for you too. My knowledge is limited. My conclusions just might be wrong. And we're going to see this in just a minute. He's going to realize this. That his knowledge was limited and his conclusions were wrong because of it. But so let's, let's think about this. You know, it might seem to some of you a little bit, yeah, it's fuzzy, it's out there, I get it, you know, the, the wicked and they're doing well and I have problems. Okay, yeah. But when you forget that your knowledge is limited and you arrive at conclusions, it's, it's problematic. Let's change the scenario. And let's talk about looking at somebody's life and making judgments about them. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're watching them and you see this and you don't see that and you hear this and you don't hear that and on and gone it goes and you judge them. Oh, that person. Or why does that person get to do Because they shouldn't. What? We would do very well to remember that our what? Our knowledge is what? Limited. They're not maybe, most likely, there are things in that person's life, things that are going on that you don't know and that I don't know. And, and we are fools when we make those judgments. You know? And 
Some people have a bigger problem with this than others. But I don't think anybody here today can tell me I've never done that. Right? I've never judged anybody. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll stop there. But do you understand how this is a wrong response to life? When we see things, it doesn't seem, because the, the deal here is it isn't matching what his understanding of what is right is. And so therefore you arrive at conclusions when you really have limited knowledge. That's, you don't want to do that. That's how you could end up losing your faith or giving it away, maybe I would say. And this whole thing even happens again, you know, when bad things happen again. Why, why did God let this happen to me? Well, you have limited knowledge. Remember that. Don't arrive at wrong conclusions that way. All right, here we go. So he talked about the situation. Verse 13 and 14, he says this. This is his, you know, his initial response to this. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence in vain. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Life has been hard. Things don't go the way I want them to do. I am, I'm not experiencing this shalom all the time. Uh, and so all this that I've done, everything I have denied myself, every hard thing I have made myself do, why have I done that? Because the bad stuff's happening to me still. You get what he's saying? Okay, so that's his conclusion. The wicked are doing great, and me who's tried so hard, I ain't doing so great. This is unfair. This is not right. And so, <laughs> what has happened here? What has happened is that in these verses, who is the center of the psalmist universe? Yeah, we're thinking, who's the center of his universe right here? He is, right? And when we are there, we, we are the center of the universe, and we are focusing on ourselves. Do you need to take care of yourself? Yeah, do you need to, to focus and say that? But, yeah, but we aren't talking about that. We're talking about this hyper-focus, aren't we? Life is all about me, and don't you forget it. Amber, don't you forget, life's about me. All right, and here's the deal. If I focus on myself, I may miss the point. And I think I'm being kind there. If I focus on myself, I probably will miss the point of what's going on. Um, you see, if you're, if you're trying to figure things out around you, the purpose and the meaning and what's right and wrong, horizontally, only horizontally, by what I'm seeing, by what I'm experiencing, you, you are going to miss the point. The Apostle Paul, in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, his le second letter to the Corinthians, he says to them, man, my life was terrible. I was overwhelmed. He said, I was squished under the circumstances, so much that we had given up on living. And, and it's not clear to me there whether he's saying that we thought we might lose our lives or he might say, what's the point of continuing to live? And then he said, but then we, he said, I realized that we were experiencing this. God had allowed us to experience this so that we might learn to trust in the one who raises the dead. 
there's more to this story than I knew. But so if I'm only focusing on what I'm experiencing, guess what? Going to miss that, aren't I? You're going to miss that. Because it's about me and what I'm experiencing. That's, you know, a very un-Christian approach to life. Um, you know, miss the point again. We, we know the verse, uh, we read the verses uh, right that come after it. Uh, but our life is, <laughs> our life is supposed to be a whole lot more than about ourselves, isn't it? Not just about me. <laughs> that God has purposes. God is at work. So the verses just shortly before the ones that we read up here today, or, or Mishy read for us, all things, how many things? All things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, right? And, and, and we leave it soon. So even those bad, bad things happen in my life, it's, it's, it's for my good, and, and it goes on and tells me what that good is. It's making me more like Jesus. We do what? We, we grow to be like the Lord. God's at work. I, I can't see what it is. <laughs> I don't understand how he's doing it. I don't know what the specifics are, but he is at work, and his purposes are good. Okay? Sometimes it's hard to remember that in the middle of stuff. And so that's why we, we make these mistakes. So if we focus on ourselves, we may very well miss the point. And, and here's where it gets scary. Verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus. In other words, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to speak this way. I'm going to say what I think about this. I'm just going to, I'm going to go in all in with these other people and drink the full cup. Sure, or, or she says, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Of course, he's getting ready to reveal the rest of the story to us here. But here's the deal. My self-centered, self-serving, false conclusions could damage other people. Could damage their faith. Uh, not only think about this, let's just go back and think about the, that one situation that I talked about. How about judging somebody else with your limited knowledge? So you look at someone and you say, it's that person, I don't think they should be allowed to, or they're doing this or that, or it doesn't, right? And we reach a judgment, and then you do what? You say it to somebody else. How ugly is that? When you think about it. If you aren't sure it's ugly, put yourself as the one being talked about. Right? That looks really ugly. And you do damage. How much damage does that do? Now you have planted this in thought in the mind of somebody else who's going to ponder, who may even have less information than you do. Right? And it hurts them and hurts the person. And we, that's a whole other sermon. Probably I should preach someday, right? But the idea is your response matters. Your life is bigger than you. How, what, how you respond to these things that you're seeing is significant because it isn't going to just affect you. It's going to affect everybody else in your life as well. Okay? All right, so these are the wrong responses in life, okay? And what we want to do now is, is look, the psalmist begins talking about here 
It's the right responses. I need to respond to God in these ways, in the right ways. So let's read verses 16 and 17. So verse 15 well, excuse me, before that he was saying, man, I don't even know, is it worth it to try to do what's right because look how the wicked live and look what I experienced. Then he finally said, man, if I talk that way, I was going to hurt people. Then verses 16 and 17, he says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Have you ever experienced that? When all of a sudden, you know, you're, maybe you're talking with God or maybe you're just alone with your own thoughts and all of a sudden something comes through that you go... Man, I don't even want to deal with that. I don't want to think about that right now. And that's what he's saying. That was what was happening to him. And and then he says this. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Whose end? The wicked who seemed to be prospering. But when did he see this? When did he get this understanding? When he did what? What's it say? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, that's when I started to understand. Okay. So, um, let me just put out, I think, the point that I, I want us to get from this. Drawing closer to God enables me to see things differently and usually more accurately. And by that I mean this, that there are times and places when, um, as I draw closer to God, I understand things differently, but I don't have the answer yet. Okay? It still looks this way to me, but I know it ain't so anymore. You see what I'm saying? In other words, I can see, yeah, it still looks like the wicked are prospering, but I know that this is not right, the way I'm thinking. I'm seeing things differently. Sometimes I get to see things more accurately, too. And that's what's going to happen here. Okay, we're going to see that here. Uh, The sanctuary, coming into the sanctuary. What is the sanctuary? Well, in the Old Testament, under the law, the sanctuary was a place that you came in to meet with God. Into the tabernacle, a place you meet with God. Um, And so, um, in one sense today, I am the sanctuary of God, the holy place of God. You are the sanctuary of God. There is a very real sense, the New Testament tells us, that we together are the sanctuary of God. Okay? Uh, many times in church, this room gets called the what? The sanctuary. It is not the sanctuary. This room is not the holy place, except as the people of God come in and make it holy. But what don't you think is this, when the idea for the psalmist, he says, until I went to the sanctuary, that's when he went into the tabernacle, into the sanctuary to meet with God. That's when it started to become clear with him. And so the sanctuary for you and I, I would just say, is, is wherever that place is in our life where we meet with God on purpose. I come before this holy God, the God who's made me holy and says, come boldly, right? The word sanctuary, uh, it's interesting, it, it, it communicates, it comes from a root word meaning holy. Okay, so sanctuary was a holy place. Uh, but this idea of sanctuary uh, is an indi- a reco- excuse me, it is a holy place, it is a place of surrender, because you, when you find yourself before the holy God of the universe, what do you do? You bow, don't you? 
Okay, you're going to bow, you're going to surrender to him. And it's also a place of safety, right? A sanctuary. Uh, in our politics now, right, we're hearing what? Sanctuary cities and, you know, you, whatever your politics are. The point is they're trying to say what? This is a safe place for you. That's what that word sanctuary communicates. And so this is how we are able to get a different understanding when we come into the sanctuary with God, this place, because the first thing about it is, it is in a sense, holy. Uh, it is um, yeah, it's holy. Let, let's, let's put that that uh, scripture up, uh, Mitchell. Hebrews four thirteen says, "And there is no creature hidden from His sight." But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so when I come into the sanctuary, I come before God and God, here I am exactly as I am. I am open before you. You know me better than I know myself. All the ugliness that I know and see that still needs to go, I see. You see more. And yet I am open here. And God accepts me there. What an amazing thought that you could walk into the presence of God and he accepts you just as you are. So it is an open place. Second thing, that is a place of surrender. Again, you see the Lord. You become conscious of who He is. And by the way, the sanctuary, it, it could be, you know, weekly when you come in here. This could be sanctuary for you. Coming into the sanctuary. You come in to meet with God. And I encourage you to do that every week. Come in and say, oh God, here I am. I'm with your people. You've promised to be with us in a special way when we gather together. Would you minister to me in my life? And I want to honor and glorify you. We're meeting with God there, okay? It could be when you sit down quietly on your own someplace, at home or someplace else, and maybe you get to open the Bible, maybe you don't, but you sit quietly before God and say, God, here I am. Just as I am, here I am. All right? And so we need to be doing this, I think, daily, uh, and maybe sometimes more than daily, more often. All right, so it's, it's the, we come before God and we realize who he is and we start to understand that. What choice do we have but to yield ourselves to him there? I, I'm trying to think, and uh, Evan, you know, you can, you can talk to me afterwards and tell me all that you know about this, okay? Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of a time in the Bible where someone came face to face with God and didn't yield. I don't know if there is. Even the people who didn't mean to yield probably yielded. And so this idea, we come, so God, I surrender. And think about this. In our psalmist, he's, he's upset because the wicked are prospering and because he's not. And here I am before God, the wicked are prospering. And, oh no, what am I doing? You see what I'm saying? Wow, what am I doing? I'm sorry, God, you're God. I'm not God. And finally, this idea this is what we discover. We come openly, and then we get overwhelmed by who he is, and then we discover that this came to the sanctuary, that this is a safe place. What an amazing thing. This is a safe place here with God. 
And I can open it, and I can then say to him, yeah, God, I know it's, it's wrong, but here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm not understanding. Show me, teach me. I'm yielded to you, whatever. But help me understand, grow me. And so let's see what happens here. So verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Then he says this to God. Surely you set them in slippery places. They seem so safe and sound, but they're on slippery places. They're on ice here. You cast them down to destruction. When all is said and done, that's where they're headed. Oh, how they are brought to desolation is in a moment. Um, I think about this. <laughs> so, did you, you guys must have all heard the scandal about the, these uh, rich actresses and others who have bought this, you know, they've cheated the system by paying huge amounts, and all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting because, you know, one of these moms had tweeted something to the effect of, our children need so much more than academics. They need to learn good character. Schools. Now, Les, I, I'm not judging her because I'm sure I've done same kind of stupid stuff. I just didn't have that much money to do it with. But what I'm trying to say is that all of a sudden, everything that was going so great, what? Ain't going so great anymore. All these people in this last you know, couple years here, this whole you know, the Me Too movement and, and people being exposed, right? All of a sudden, their lives did what? Changed, right? And so he's saying, I, I didn't see that. I didn't realize that this is where they were at, that at any moment... You know, they could be brought to desolation, utterly consumed with terrors. They're afraid of that. As a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. I understand now that you are going to judge that, and they are not in the good places. But I did not understand it till I got together with you and opened myself up to you and listened and learned. All right. Verse 21. So, let me, before I read it. So, he's, he had this wrong way of thinking, wrong responses, wrong attitude, wrong focus, and then he came into the sanctuary, got together with God, and all of a sudden he saw it differently, he saw it more accurately, and then he says this, verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you, like an animal who doesn't think about things. Nevertheless, this is huge. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Even when I've blown it badly, and he had blown it badly, even when I've blown it badly, God still accepts me and works in my life. What an encouragement that is. When you find yourself in this situation, and you will, uh, you are in good company. You are in the good company of Abraham, who failed to protect his wife and the, really trust in the promises God had given him at one point. You are in the um, uh, company of Jacob, 
who lied to his father and stole an inheritance. You are in good company with Moses who lost his temper and disobeyed God in the process. You are in good company with David who, who committed adultery and had a man killed. You are in the company of Peter who walked with Jesus and then denied him. I mean, and yet all of these men are great men of faith, aren't they? That God used. And that, that, that's us. So even when we've blown it badly, and we will. Because what I, what I don't want to have to happen is when you start to see, oh man, yeah, I've been so messed up over this, how I'm looking at life, and now I'm believing this wrong thing, or I'm judging this person. Oh, yeah, okay, that's true. Oh, be honest and hope. We've already gone to the sanctuary with God about it, right? He's at work in your life. He's not letting you go. You can try to let go of him. He's not letting you go. Okay. So let's talk about some lessons that we need to learn and some changes we need to make. Uh, Verse 25. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. Could you move forward to the next slide there, Mitchell? That no one can take God's place in our lives. Nobody can. We try, don't we? What do you mean? Well, we do. We let other people take God's place in our lives. And we think that somehow this other person is going to be for us what we need, right? We let stuff take God's place in our lives. And it it won't do it. So uh, no one can take God's place in our lives. Verse 26. My flesh and my heart fail. In other words, I I have weaknesses. I don't endure. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion for how long? forever. So I am weak and temporary. God is strong and eternal. So I think I'll depend on him instead of me. Verse 27, for indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. And that idea is is, uh, being unfaithful to God. You, You do deal with those people. You do. Did it look like to the, to the psalmist when he was writing? Did it look like God was dealing with it? No, it didn't look like God was dealing with it. But here's a lesson we need to learn. That God is getting it right no matter how it looks right now. God is always getting it right no matter how it looks right now. And then some lessons, or some changes we need to make. Verse 28. He says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. So it's good for me to make these changes. And the first one is that I need to draw closer to God. Because when do I understand better? When I come into the sanctuary, when I come to that place where I meet with God. I need to do this more often. I need to do it more consistently. And it's always good when I do. (laughs) It's good for me to do this. It's good for you to do that. Second thing, to... I have put my trust in the Lord God. It's good for me to keep trusting God. Even when I can't see how this is working out, right? doesn't look like it's working out, but I am going to keep trusting God. There is never anybody who trusted God to the end who regretted it. And I will guarantee you that people who stop trusting God come to regret it. Okay? So I'm going to keep trusting God even when this whole thing is so big, I can't even figure out what to do about it. I'm going to come, draw, come to the sanctuary and I'm going to keep trusting God. And then 
He says, why? That I may declare all your works. That I may share with others what you're teaching me. God has done this in my life. He showed me this. Do you think the psalmist had something to share with people? Guess what? He did. We read it. (laughs) Right? This idea of declaring the works, this word declare, it it, it has the idea of of putting a mark. And then when God does something else, put another mark. You're keeping track. He's done this and this. And and maybe it says on to write it out. And then it says to, um, to celebrate it. To celebrate it. Here's what God's teaching me. Boy, this is where fellowship really happens. I mean, on and on. So we're way out of time. We need to stop. We're actually out of Psalm, too. Okay? But when life seems unfair, remember, just draw close to God. Let Him take you through that. I'm going to ask the band to come back up here. I just want to close out today with us singing to the Lord. Not long. Um, But when life seems unfair, no, we are going to come to God and praise Him. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then our our band will lead us. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we confess that we are still recovering sinners. We don't always think right about things. Our heart isn't always in the right place. Thank you that we can come before you when we've messed up and thought life's unfair, thought you're unfair. Anyway, when we we mess up, Lord, we can come to you and you will show us and teach us and grow us. Oh, Father, I pray that we will learn to live in that part of this story. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.